Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Amen. Help me welcome our online campus. God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're in a series called Through the Bible in Seven Weeks. And guess what, y'all? We're in week seven. The whole purpose of this series is to help to spark some interest, stir some hunger in you for God's word. Not only to stir that hunger, but to kind of uh, diminish any apprehension you might have. Some people uh, just don't feel like they can approach God's word. Uh, for numerous reasons, it's too hard, I'm not good enough, or it's too old, or, or whatever it would be, and none of those things would be true. It is a user-friendly, uh, God-inspired book that he has given. It is a gift. Come on, it is a gift that God has given us, uh, his word. And as we see the big picture, which is what part of what I'm trying to do with this series, uh, as we see the big picture, um, it should increase our peace, we should have more peace, and we should have less panic in our life. And so I cannot encourage you enough. Pick up your Bible, read it, believe it, follow it. And it is life-changing. It is life-giving. You'll be so glad. You'll thank me later uh, that I told you to do this and you did it. It is a wonderful part of our daily life. Uh, one of the prophets of old said this. He said, I require, I not only desire, but I require your word more than my daily food. How many of you are into some daily food? Oh, come on. How many of you are into some daily food? Uh, uh, how many of you have ever broke in line before for food? All right. All right. Come on. I'm with you on that because some things must happen and now, right? And so, you know, and think about that, the, the Word of God. We need the Word of God even more. Maybe part of some of the things you're dealing with and feeling off about, you know, the Word of God would be the answer for that. I, I, I promise you that it would. So let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to break down the 66 books by category. And uh, this is what we've covered so far. Uh, we started in the beginning, the first five books. Then we went to the history books, then the wisdom books, and then the prophets. That completes the Old Testament. Then the gospels in the New Testament. Last week, the letters. And that's 65 books. And then today we'll go to the very last book, which is Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. And part of the reason that Revelation needs a week all by itself, because it's weird, and it's complex, it's, there's some difficulty here, and it's beautiful as well. It's a book, a book of, of uh, comfort, it's a book of encouragement, it's also a book of warning and challenge, and um, so we want to take a little special time with the book of Revelation as we finish this series today. Let's look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So technically, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is also, and this word supports it, it's the revelation from Jesus Christ. And now, as we see here, it came from God to Jesus, delivered by an angel to his servant John, and then ultimately to us, and we hold it and, and have benefit of it today. Let me remind you of who John is. John was one of the disciples. He's one of the apostles. 
Uh, he was the beloved disciple. He named himself that. And he wrote uh, four other books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which we call the Little Johns, and they're toward the end um, of, of the New Testament. So it begins, the whole Bible begins Genesis as beginnings, and it ends in Revelation where Genesis is beginnings, Revelation is consummation. This is the fulfillment. This is the, the completion. This is the resolution uh, to everything. The Bible both uh, begins in paradise, and guess where it ends? In paradise. And so it's this whole incredible story, and it starts out creation, fall, recreation. It starts out whole, broken, and restored. Guess what? That's not just the creation. That's not just the world. That's us. That's us, too. And the Bible even calls us, when we come to Christ, that we are new uh, creations in him. Now, go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, blessed. Everybody say blessed. So I want to show you a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So there's a blessing. There's a blessing. Listen, it doesn't say blessed are those who understand it. Blessed are those who read it. And I believe you should be reading your Bible. Daily, I'm in a proverb a day. I'm reading little sections of the gospel. I'm reading, you know, parts of the epistles or the letters. And then um, every now and then, you need to just kind of read through uh, the book of Revelation. You're blessed just to read it, okay? So there's a blessing. Now let me show you a warning. Everybody say warning. Revelation 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And some might would say, and I've actually heard this before, of course God didn't mean all that. But you know what that smacks of? Do you know what that reminds me of? The serpent in the garden. Surely God didn't mean that. So if this is God uh, really just trying to make a point or not, I think we should just heed it. Okay? I think we just say, okay, if God says don't add to it and don't take away from it, then I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take away from it. Can I, can I get an amen today on that? This is a complex book. And virtually everything in it is debated. Okay? There are scholarly, broad range of views on who and what and when and meaning and timing and all of those things. So this book is, is um, you know, it's virtually everything is debated. I'll give you some reasons for that here in a moment. So I think we need to be careful with the book. We need to be careful going through here that we don't, because of some preference of ours or whatever, uh, add to or take away. So be careful how we tour through the book of Revelation. Nod, nod your head if you're with me so far. It would be kind of like this, taking your car and driving through a wildlife preserve, okay? And maybe you've seen those on TV or maybe you've gone there and they have like lions and tigers and... Thank you. Thank you. 
So, and you're driving your little car and these critters are out there. Here's, here's some advice for you, okay, as you tour through there. Uh, number one, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Secondly, you're going to end up wide-eyed. Here's some real good advice. Stay in the car. And then don't try to be an expert, don't try to be a hero, and please don't do anything dumb, okay? So you would do that riding through, you know, Critter Park of America, you would do that. And I think we should do kind of the same thing as we go through the book of Revelation. Listen, enjoy it, enjoy it. It will make us wide-eyed at times. Uh, Stay in the car. Don't try to be an expert. Don't try to be some hero. Don't, don't try to add to or take away, and, which would be a dumb thing to do. And there's much that we'll gain from this. Like I said, there's both comfort and challenge in this book. As I said earlier, Revelation was bit written by John. It was written in 95 AD. So let's figure this out a little bit. Jesus' ministry completed, and he ascended to heaven, roughly 33 AD. Now we're at 95 AD, and John was a a young man, uh, part of Jesus' ministry team, so to speak, back, you know, AD 30, AD 33, around there, and now we're at AD 95. So he's, he's aged quite a bit. He's elderly now, and he's writing this book, but he is still very, very active, and he is preaching and teaching and sharing Jesus and sharing the good news, preaching the gospel, and he is arrested in Asia. And so they exile him. He's a Roman prisoner now. They exile him to a to an island called Patmos. And it's uh, in the Aegean Sea and not far uh, off the coast from where they were. And it is an open air, barren, rocky island. And they would banish and exile prisoners there of certain uh, categories. And you're pretty much isolated because of the lay of the land. Uh, it is believed that John probably had some kind of cave type situation, and he was isolated from others. Now, tradition holds that the Romans tried to boil John in a vat of boiling oil, but he did not die. And so they went ahead and exiled him out uh, to this island, and he began. To write this. So in in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, we find he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So here he is on a rocky island. Who knows what all he's been through? He's observing the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, I was in the Spirit just doesn't mean I was. I was happy or I was paying attention. It has to do with kind of a visionary state, a trans-like state that came upon him. And so in this, it's kind of like between sleep and wake, but there's something very, very spiritual and unusual about this. So he's in the spirit, and it is following that that he starts to get a vision that he begins to write. John had four experiences like this, four experiences, and after... Each time in the book of Revelation that something like this happens, more divine information kind of comes, more of the uh, uh, vision begins to unfold. So here, John hears this voice behind him, and he turns around, and he's in a vision at that point, and there's seven golden candlesticks and lampstands, and among them 
is a glorified, risen Lord Jesus standing there. And here's the, here's the real takeaway. And Jesus is holding keys. And Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus is holding the key to everything. Guess what? That's who you want to be with. That's the one who is in charge. He can lock what he wants to lock. He can unlock what he wants to unlock. And so he holds the key. That is important because that's who you want to be with. And so he begins to write and the vision starts to come to him. And uh, he is told, everything that you see, write it down. So John tries to write and describe things and he really doesn't have a point of reference for a lot of this. How many of you that are 60 years age or older, or maybe 50, or maybe 40, or maybe 20, how many of you things have changed in your lifetime? How many of you know that some things that used to have wires don't have wires anymore? Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of things that have changed. Now imagine the changes for John back in A.D. 95, who is actually seeing by a supernatural vision things that are still in our future. He has no point of reference. So he's saying that kind of looked like uh, maybe a lion with the face of a man, but it was like a locust, but it was like a scorpion, and something came out of its tail, and it hurt people really bad. (laughs) Who knows what he was seeing? Some scholars say maybe he was seeing war helicopters at that point. And it sounded like many waters. It was loud to him. Who knows, you know, what he was seeing. And he's trying to write all of this down. And you have to understand, you have to understand, not only is it a vision, it is so far in the future. Much of it is imagery. A lot of it is just symbolic. Some of it certainly would be literal and actual. But to write that down is a very hard thing to do. So we would be careful that we don't assign definite meaning to everything because we really don't have definite meaning on everything. Now, we can see the big picture. There's some real landmarks that are, are clear to us, but to try to assign definite meaning for everything, I would just caution all of us uh, on doing that and let it unfold as God unfolds it. Can we get an amen in the church today? So he starts out with the seven letters to the seven churches. And John had worked with these actual churches by name of of the seven churches. And so perhaps these letters were actually written to those actual churches, giving affirmation and encouragement, but also giving some warning and some correction. Here's the dynamic thing about it. The contents of those letters was so powerful that it still, fast forward to our day, gives us encouragement, gives us affirmation, but also gives us some challenge and some correction as well. So it was alive and well there. It is alive and well for us today. Now, seven letters to seven churches. If you read through the book of Revelation, you're going to find lots of sevens. You're going to find a whole lot of sevens. Uh, there are a lot of things that are repeated. Let me back up to one thing. When, when John is trying to describe things, uh, he said, it is, it is like this. Fifty-four times in the book of Revelation, he uses that phrase, it is like. And now we have another thing repeated and repeated, and it's sevens. There are 52 sevens in the book of Revelation. And so there's a meaning for this. There's seven letters, churches, golden lampstands, stars, seals, horns, eyes, trumpets, plagues, bulls, hills, angels, kings, on and on and on, lots of sevens. After a while, you start to think it might mean something. 
Come on, Sherlock. After a while, there's something going on about sevens. The best takeaway we can have from this is, is the biblical number seven actually has to do with completeness and completion. And so I think God is just printing on everything that he's bringing something to completion and something to a close. Now, I quickly want to give you an overview of the, of the 22 books. Now, hang with me. I'm just going to zip through this just to kind of stack it for us because then we'll build on this just a little bit. 22 chapters. We've already gone through the first three by the time we have the seven letters to the seven churches. Y'all with me? Okay, then from chapter 4 to chapter 18 is what is called Great Tribulation. How many of you know what tribulation means? It's troubles, it's problems, it's pressure. And then when you add to that the Greek New Testament word for great tribulation, it is magnified to a place that there's such trouble on the earth, you really don't want to go through that. So great tribulation is a period of time on the earth, and it's covered between chapter 4 and chapter 18. Let's break it down a little bit more. Chapter 4 through chapter 7, the Lamb, does anybody know who the Lamb is? Jesus breaks open seven seals that are on an ancient book. And every time he breaks one of the seals that hold that book shut, some catastrophic event takes place on earth. Then in chapter 8 through 11, there's seven angels who have trumpets. And every time one of them blasts a trumpet, a plague, it brings a plague on the face of the earth. Chapter 12 through 14, there's a great dragon. Does anybody know who the dragon is? Satan, the devil. There's a great dragon and two beasts who make war on the earth. Chapter 15 and 16, there's seven angels who pour out seven bowls of God's wrath, and each bowl brings a plague onto the earth. Chapter 17 through 20, the lamb, Jesus, overcomes the dragon, the devil, the beast, and brings about a final judgment day. How many of you are for that one? And then, uh, then chapter 21 and 22, there's a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem comes down, the holy city comes down to the earth where God and the Lamb, Jesus, dwell with his people forever and ever in perfection. In, in Revelation 21 verse 5, Jesus said, Behold, don't miss this, Behold, I make all things new. Anybody have anything in your life? You ever been done wrong? You ever had problems? You ever tired of the evil and the lies and everything that's going on in this world? War and rumor of war and and injustice and all the things that Jesus said, I'm making all things new, which includes the idea I am making everything right. Once again, come on, church, that deserves an amen today. Now, the final, those final four chapters, chapter 19 through 22, this is Jesus' future triumph over all evil, and it is the redemption and the restoration of all things. It's the redemption and restoration of victory. It's the redemption, this is a big one, redemption and restoration of truth. One of the most assaulted things in our days is the redemption and restoration of goodness, of beauty, of innocence. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible thing 
as Jesus brings about final victory and restoration. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to take the time today, but I want to encourage you. There's some events and there's some characters, there's some players that you would do well to, to find a good Bible dictionary, a good Bible uh, encyclopedia, uh, and take the time and just get a concise understanding of a few things. You know, uh, the Antichrist, the, the uh, false prophet, uh, the two witnesses, um, great tribulation, the marriage feast, uh, millennial reign. There's so many things like that. Just drop in and get an understanding of those things. Now, again, we're not going to understand everything about this. All of these things, timing, meaning, and so forth, you know, those things can be debated to a point. Uh, but I want to move on to an event that is not specifically mentioned in the book of Revelation, but it is in the Bible, and we will see it. If you have the eye to see it, you can see that uh, it is noticeable in the book of Revelation, and it impacts us as believers. And let me tell you what the event is. You ready? The rapture of the church. The rapture. Everybody say the rapture. Now, we find more about the rapture in First and Second Thessalonians. The Greek New Testament word for, for that is the catching away, the snatching away. And what it is, it's the removal of believers off of the face of the earth. Jesus catches us up into the air. Some people have a hard time believing that, but 2 Corinthians 4.14 says that if you can believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can believe for the rapture of the church. My words, but that's, that's what it's saying there. So this takes place, the rapture. Now let's look quickly, and I want to show you a timeline. Um, God is eternal. He always was. He always will be. So creation, Genesis, and then the first big judgment was the flood. Everybody say the flood. That would be important in just a moment. And then we have the first coming of Jesus, born of a virgin, grew up, lived a sinless life, taught the greatest things ever on this planet, willingly went and died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, died, buried, rose again the third day. He's alive and well, spent 40 days on the earth teaching concerning the kingdom of God, ascends back into heaven, and when he ascends, shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit comes. That's the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born, the first church, and this is the church age, and we are in the church age. Now, whenever I show this, people say, well, where are we? Are we about where the R is or the G is or where, where are we? I have no idea. I have no idea where we're at, but we're somewhere in here. Now, this is what I believe. Say, this is what pastor believes, okay? This is what I believe, and I'll give you some Bible reasons why I believe it. Then the next big thing to happen would be the rapture, when Jesus would come and snatch us out of here, and we're up with him in heaven until we come back with him in the second coming. During that time, that seven-year period, is the great tribulation on the earth. It's divided into two 42-month periods, and that last three and a half years will be extra, extra horrible. The second coming, and then Jesus establishes a thousand-year millennial reign uh, where total peace, total heaven on earth for a thousand years. An uprising at the very end by the enemy. Jesus puts it down with a sword that's in his mouth, which is his word. It's not really much of a battle at all. Great white throne judgment. The devil cast into the lake of fire, new heavens, new earth, and then whatever's happening in the ages to come. Quickly go to the second chart. There it is. 
first coming, we're in the church age. So when the rapture takes place, uh, what do we do while that's going on? Well, first of all, we have harp lessons. Some of you weren't paying attention, so. Judgment seat of Christ. Remember we saw the great white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. Judgment seat of Christ. We are saved because of him, but our works will be tried as by fire. Okay, then the marriage supper. Who is Jesus' bride? The church. We are his bride. He is the bridegroom. There's a marriage feast. And then there's Christ's glorious second appearing where we come back with him in the millennial reign. Now, quickly. The rapture, he comes for us. And, and people sometimes confuse this in Scripture, especially in the Scripture in, in Matthew's Gospel where it's talking about this. Um, with the rapture, he comes for us. With the second coming, go back to the other chart if you would. In the second coming, see, he comes for us. We come back with him. This takes place in the air. This, he uh, brings us back and touches planet Earth. Uh, this is kind of stealth. Uh, those that are part of it, we're snatched and out of the way. Everyone else is like, what happened? What just happened? Okay, this, the second coming, will be very, very public. The scripture says, get this, everyone will see this. Everyone will see him coming back uh, with his bride. Um, The rapture takes the saints to heaven. Seven years later, second coming, we come back with him to earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, when will this happen? Come on, when will this happen? We don't know. No one knows. All right, look at me. Look close. Come on, look at me. I don't care if somebody on TV, Christian television even, tells you when it is. They don't know. And if they try to tell you that they know, they're probably trying to sell you something. Let's look quickly at some scripture. Matthew chapter 24. Watch, therefore, give strict attention, be cautious and active, for you do not know in what kind of day, whether a near or remote one, your Lord is coming. Look in Mark. But of that day and hour, come on, church. One more time. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven. And look at this. You're kidding, right? No, no, not even the Son but only the Father. So when's this going to happen? God knows, and he's God, and he'll take care of it. And what does he want us to do in the meantime? He wants us to just pay attention. He just wants us to continue to serve him and trust him. Amen? Now, very quickly, I want to give you some reasons why I believe. Everybody say, Pastor believes. I want to give you some reasons why I believe, some biblical reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And not only do I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which means we would be out of here before tribulation comes, not only do I believe that, look at me carefully, I sure hope so too. (laughs) Now, there are all kinds of views. I hold to what is called a pre-tribulation position. There are mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. Some believe it's already happened. Some believe it's never going to come. Some believe that we're going to fix it all somehow and it won't ever need to happen. And uh, there are actually people that believe that. And um, I just believe that it's pre-trib. So quickly, let me give you some Bible reasons. Revelation 3.10, Jesus himself said, I will keep you from the trial that will come upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that the church is delivered from the wrath to come. And then the ark. Remember I had pointed out the flood earlier? 
Remember, we've talked about that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we just talked about the Lamb in the book of Revelation, that is Jesus. Go all the way back early into the sacrificial system of Scripture. It was a lamb, an uh, an unblemished, unspotted lamb that had to be slain to pay for our sins, pointing to a type and shadow, pointing all the way to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So throughout the Bible, we have types and shadows that show us some things to come and tell us some things about things that will happen. One of them, I believe, is the ark. And I believe that Noah's ark is a type of the rapture, that when judgment came on the earth by the flood, the, the people that were, were uh, faithful to God, the righteous, went into the ark. And what happened? They were lifted up and over the judgment and held there until the judgment went away. And then they came back down, which is really like a picture of the rapture. But for me, probably the most compelling reason to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is in the book of revelation and it's this the church is absent from chapter 4 until chapter 19 so from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 18 the church is not there and the great tribulation takes place chapter 4 through chapter 18 the church is mentioned 17 times in the first three chapters Chapter 4, John is caught up into heaven and he observes and writes of what is going on in the earth by looking down on it from heaven. And then the church is not seen nor mentioned until chapter 19 when the bridegroom, Jesus, comes back with his bride to the earth in the glorious second coming. And so to me, that is the most compelling thing that the church is missing, it's absent. I believe it's in heaven with the Lord for chapter 4 through chapter 18, the great tribulation, until we come back as the bride with the bridegroom. That's compelling enough for me. And beyond that, I sure hope so. So what do we do? What do we do? We live our life. We live our life like it could happen any moment. And hear me. And we plan our life like it could be another 100 years. Don't be the stargazers. Don't be the people just hanging around trying to figure out something, following conspiracies, conspiracies and timing charts and everything else. Don't, don't get caught up in all that. Jesus said this in, in Luke chapter 19. He said, occupy, do business till I come. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to just serve him. He wants us to just do what we're doing. Yeah, keep your eye on the eastern sky. Yes, pay attention to the signs of the times. But we really can't read the signs of the times. We're not as smart as we really think we are there. Here's the bottom line. Jesus holds the keys. Everybody say it. Jesus holds the keys. He's the only one to worship. He's the only one to serve. He's the only one that is worthy because he's the creator and he's the redeemer. And so I think all things considered, knowing how it's all going to end should inform you and I how we should live right now. Revelation closes human history just as Genesis opened it in paradise. But there's one distinct difference in the book of Revelation. You ready for this? All evil is gone forever. Forever. 
And the word of God said there's no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice. It says there is nothing that in any way can enter in that would defile or upset God's perfect peace and restoration that he has for us. I don't want to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. So don't get bogged down. Hear me on this and I'll, I'll close. Don't get bogged down in details. Don't get bogged down in debates over meaning and timing and all of those things. Just do this. Just do this. Just trust God and walk with God and live for God and serve him and worship him. Don't let your heart be troubled. Be careful of deception. And let's work hard and let's share this good news about our wonderful Jesus. And I think an appropriate way to just land this series is the last two verses of the entire Bible, the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. John replies, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And let me just add this. And in the meantime, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And the church said, amen. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray and then we'll be on our way. Father, thank you for your people today. Thank you, God, for a remarkable future that's ahead. So much that we don't know and we can't see, but we can see you and you hold the keys to everything. I pray that every one of us will walk out of here with just a new awareness, a new commitment. I'm staying with you. I worship you. I will serve you. I will trust you. And God, I I know and I rest assured that whatever the future would hold, you hold the future and you hold us. Now may your people draw ever closer to you. I thank you that in this day, right now, this day, would you bless your people. They'd have such an awareness of your nearness. And God, we would just recommit to you today to walk close to you. I pray blessing and protection as we come and go today. Speak peace to every dwelling, every gathering. Thank you for a blessed day now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. God bless you. You're a dismissed. Peace. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.